0: Now the video clip you just saw was from neo-mystic revivalist reform preacher John Crowder. That's not a joke. He's serious. And this is a sampling and you're going to get sampling after sampling through this series of what is out there that is trying to distort the gospel. He wants you to soak up the glory... ...from the dead bones of dead revivalists... ...whose spiritual necromancy is a twist on the relic's philosophy... ...where the grace of God could be transmitted and mediated through objects. So John would like you to get drunk on glory... ...and he preaches, take a toke of the Holy Spirit... ...he encourages, smoke some baby Jesus... Then he quips as he, as he metaphorically promotes his mystic journeys. And friends, he's amassing a following in the church. And you might be wondering if, if this is just an oddity, if this is just an abnormal movement today. Unfortunately, they, there are dangerous movements and sheep in wolves clothing permeating all through the church today. So how do you discern it? What do you do about it? Do you hear those two questions? How do you discern it? And what do you do about it? You see, the book of Jude that we're going to be looking at is going to be our guide on this journey. But more than just our guide, Jude is going to do is going to occupy our main concern. So that we're going to know the truth and we can contend for the faith. So we're going to be exposing some of this eccentric. And often false teachings that are flooding into the church. Now listen, this is challenging. This is going to be challenging. Sometimes I might be referring in this 8 to 10 week series, I might be referring and, and talking about some people that you like in Christianity. And some of the practices that they endorse that you copy. It might ruffle some of your feathers I'm going to try to be gracious. Listen, I'm going to try to talk about these people the way that I want to be talked about. But the aim is not to be unfair. The aim of this series is to be gracious when possible. It's going to be tra- trying to keep their statements in context to their, to their entire teaching. But listen, when false teaching rears its poisonous head, it needs to be exposed. Amen? You now, I was recently told that casinos often hire bank tellers because they're so good at spotting counterfeit money. See, bank tellers know the real thing so intimately, with such familiarity, that when they see what is not the real thing, when they see what is counterfeit, Something triggers in their mind. They can discern it. And the same thing with false teaching. If we're going to be able to discern false teaching, then we've got to know the truth so well that it's easily seen. We're going to know the truth of God. That's the aim of this series. We've just completed, I guess maybe a month and a half, two months ago, we completed a study in Nehemiah where we saw that the enemy of God Has a lot of strategies, has a lot of plans, has secret schemes that he is unleashing in the church and he's not satisfied. Listen, you got to hear this. He's not, the enemy of God's not satisfied with hurling ballista from catapults outside the walls. That's not the aim of the enemy of God. The aim of the enemy of God is to get inside the church. And to begin distorting the truth, begin permeating with a false gospel. That's the aim of the enemy. He wants to work and destroy the church from the inside out. This is what John MacArthur once wrote. He said, the greatest assaults against the truth, they don't come from the outside. They come from the inside, from apostates, defectors who... Name the name of Christ, or once named the name of Christ, and are now the enemies of Christ. This is how Satan works. And he wants to get inside the church, and there is no more powerful way to introduce subtle heresy. You ready? I'm going to give you two ways. No more powerful ways than through the pulpit and through the worship. That's how he works. And Satan is the original false teacher he unleashed. His deadly distortion of truth on Eve and on Adam. So we turn to Jude. We're going to turn to this little book in order to strengthen us, in order to strengthen the church against these schemes. And as we do, I want to give you, as we we kind of look at an overview today, we're going to look at an overview of Jude. And I'm going to give you a few points to kind of reflect on and hold on to as we get ready to look into this book. Here's the first one. Remember that Jude was written by a surprising author. He was written by a surprising author. You know, the name Jude, if you go back to the Hebrew language, is Judah. If you go to the Greek language, is Judas. So you've got Jude or Judah or Judas. And there's at least eight Judes, Judases, and Judas in in the New Testament. Eight of them. By the way, parents, it's not a recent trend to name your baby after somebody famous. It's been around a long time. You know, in 2013, you know, two of the hottest names trending for parents with their newborn babies. Katniss for girls and Django for boys. Got two movies that came out right around that same time. Well, then the name Jude was trending because of Judas Maccabeus. Judas Maccabeus was a Jewish leader who, a hundred years before Christ came, he led the Jews in a rebellion against Syria. But there was an infamous Judas as well. Do you remember his name, Judas Iscariot? And he was so hated, and I want you to hear this, he was so hated... After the, uh, after the time of Christ, he was so hated that legends sprang up about Judas Iscariot. Here's one legend. It went like this, that he became, after he betrayed Jesus, he became infested with maggots so badly that his body swelled to horrific proportion, bloated. And he was riding on a horse, and he hit the side of a gate, and his body exploded with worms and maggots everywhere. That's one of the legends at the close of the first century about Judas Iscariot. It's obviously not true. But it shows you how much contempt there was for Judas. Do you know the name? Do you know anyone, by the way, do you know anyone in life named Judas Can you name even... Raise your hand if you can. Can you name even one person that you personally know named Judas? Got one? It's a rare name anymore. Not a lot of people with that name. Why? Because of the stigma. Because of the stigma of that person, Judas Iscariot. Its popularity went south pretty quickly... After it became known what he did. But there's eight Judes, eight Judases mentioned in the New Testament. But this author, this particular author, he's accepted to be one of the four half-brothers of Jesus. Now you heard that, right? All of a sudden, we know, we're studying a, we're studying a book that was written by a brother of Jesus. Half-brother, because he's got the same mom, but he's got a different father. He's a half-brother of Jesus. He's the brother of James, the writer of the book of James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Jude, who during the ministry of Jesus didn't even believe in him. He didn't come to put faith in Jesus as the Messiah until after Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. Yet now he's writing this powerful little book about the subject of apostasy and how the enemies of Christ are going to try to creep into the church. And Look at verse 4 briefly. It says for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people. Remember what I said? Jude's written by a surprising author You've got Judas Iscariot who is probably the most terrible apostate who has ever lived worked with Jesus, served with Jesus, lived with Jesus for three years, turned against him and his betrayal. Now we've got another Jude that God has raised up to arm the church against apostates. And I see in this the incredible irony and redemptive power of God. It's written by a surprising author. But there's another point I am going to bring out. Today, I want to bring out the second one, and that is, remember, I want you to remember that Jude was written for a serious time. Now listen, the times of Jude's writing are later in the first century, A.D. 70. Pretty soon, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, utterly destroyed, by Rome. But the uptick in persecution is already happening. Christians are being Persecuted by Rome. You know that Rome called Christians pagans? Seems odd, doesn't it? Rome called Christians pagans because they wouldn't worship Rome's gods. So you've got all of this persecution that's ramping up. But listen, the church does better when it's persecuted. Did you know that? The church does better when it's persecuted. It strengthens the church when persecution comes. So we've got Jude writing this book when persecution is being ramped up. You've got you've got a you've got uh heresies that are, are coming into the church. It's about AD 70. Apostle John's gonna write Revelation and uh right at the close of the century. But all this persecution is strengthening the church. You know what the more dangerous attack is? Now, you've got to hold on to this because we're going to be looking at this every week for the next 8 to 10 weeks. The more dangerous attack comes from the inside. And Peter saw it coming in his second letter, written just a few years before Jude was written. He warned in his second letter the evil was already in the church and that it, yet, it had not yet made its appearance, but it's coming. Look what he wrote. The false prophets... Also rose up among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. He's talking about the Old Testament, talking about the earlier time of the people of God, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. It's a really interesting time of the church. By the way, did you know this? Every single apostle, by the time Jude writes this, has been martyred for their faith. All but John. All the rest of them martyred. They've been put to death for their faith in Christ. All but John. It was written for a serious time. And when Jude was writing this little book, the enemy was no longer on the horizon. Listen, Peter said, it's coming. Jude's saying, it's here. It's in the pulpits. It's in the pews. He's exposing through an expositional letter, meaning he's exposing false teaching. He is showing the willing accomplices of the enemies of God. He's revealing the lies and the emptiness of their teaching. Look at verse 4, he's showing that they're distorting grace. You're looking at Jude, they're distorting grace and they're making it into a license so that you can sin all you want. Listen, you're saved. It doesn't matter anymore. You can sin all you want. Sin, sin, and sin. It's all covered by the blood of Christ. They're teaching this. In the same verse, verse four, he teaches that the enemies were denying Jesus Christ. We're going to unpack all of that. Look at verse eight. He showed that these false teachers held their dreams, their personal knowledge, as a higher and more trustworthy authority than the Scripture. So, listen, they're having a dream. They're having a dream, and they have, they're vivid dreams. And in their, these dreams, they're seeing Jesus and Jesus is speaking to them and Jesus is imparting knowledge to them. And they're coming back to the church and they're saying, listen, I've got, I've got revelation for you. I've got authority for you. I've got truth for you. That it's not, not in here. It's greater than this. Do you think that's not happening today? Look at verse 12, these false prophets, they're clouds that look like they're going to drop desperately needed rain, but they yield no life-giving moisture. They're trees that promise fruit to your hungry soul, but they're dead and they're barren. They're teachers and preachers who look good, but whose words ultimately satisfy no one, and instead they look for control over people and position an advantage. They're loud, they're brash. Jude writes. But I want to draw something out a little bit more. Remember I told you Jude is written by a surprising author, but then I said Jude is written for a serious time. Listen to this. It's the last next to last book of the Bible. Remember I told you that's right before Revelation. And you know the book of Revelation, right? You know the book of Revelation that the God's story of redeeming this world, it ends in Revelation. It's, it's the capstone. It's done. It ends in Revelation. It's gonna draw history to a close with the second coming of Jesus Christ. But then you've got, so that's, that's right after Jude, but what's right before Jude? You've got the three short letters from John, the epistles of John. And in those epistles of John, John keeps saying that you've got to know the truth of Jesus Christ and you've got to hold on to that truth until the end. You cannot let it go. John's letters tell us to faithfully hold till the end to the truth of Jesus Christ. And then you got John's book of Revelation telling us that the end is coming and Jesus is about to return. So you've got before Jude, you've got to hold to the truth. And after Jude, the truth is coming. Jesus is about to come. and You've got to hold to the end. And you got little Jude sandwiched between the two. Why? Because it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to hold to the truth. Because there's a war going on over the truth. And Satan wants to undermine it. You know what he's doing? He's trying to drill holes in the foundation of truth. So that your faith collapses. And brother, sister, we've got to fight it. We've got to hold on to it. We've got to teach it. We've got to protect it. We've got to guard it. We've got to be willing to battle over that truth because until Jesus comes, there's going to be an unrelenting battle and attack against the truth of Jesus Christ. It's no surprise. Listen, it's no surprise. Jesus warned us. That this was going to happen. Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. He said later, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray. If possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. You got the apostle Paul. He warned us this is going to happen. And right, he said it's going to happen when I die. I know that after my departure, after I die, fierce wolves will come in among you and they're not going to spare the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Do you understand, brother and sister? The enormity and the severity that's, that's going on in this attack against the gospel. You're going to see it glimpse, you're going to glimpse it week after week. I'm going to bring you video clips. We're going to look at Jude. We're going to see how to hold strong with the truth. But I can tell you right now you take truth, the Word of God, truth, Word of God, capital T, and all over Christianity. You've got groups that are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's just your interpretation of the truth. You've got to hold to the little t, which is always ready to be revised. It's called the emergent movements. Peter warns us and James warns us and John warns us all through the New Testament. We're told false teachers, preachers, Christ will appear many from within the church and they will have degrees. Listen, they're going to have doctors before their names. And they're going to claim to have special and secret knowledge, exclusive secrets that they can impart to their followers firmly entrenching them in a position of necessity and authority. But it's our turn to beware. It's our turn to recognize. And that's one of the purposes of this little book of Jude. So here's the third and final overview point I want to give you. Here's what I've said. Jude was written by a surprising author. It was written for a serious time. We are in that serious time. But finally, Jude is written to be a sobering call to Christians to wake up and fight. Are you a fighter? Are you a fighter? You're a fighter or a lover? Jude's both. Loves God, loves people deeply, but he is so willing to enter the ring. You know, I almost took a church years and years ago, back in nineteen ninety-six January. I was candidating or I was interviewing rather at a church and I was in a search committee meetings. This is a church down near Harleysville area. Quakertown, actually, Quakertown area. And it was a church that held two very different doctrines than I hold. One of them is that you can lose your salvation. The church held, that you can lose your salvation. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe salvation is of His Spirit, and He keeps His children. This is why Jesus said, I have not lost even one of them, Father. Not even one. If you turn away from the church, I believe you never came to Christ. you turn away from Christ, I believe you never came to Christ. So listen, I didn't believe, I didn't ascribe to that doctrine, and I I knew this was going to be kind of interesting if I take this position. But the other one was even really as, as difficult for me to get my head around to be on staff there. Here's what they believed. They believed in passive non-resistance. They asked me, Tim, if someone broke into your home and threatened, I had one child at the time, threatened your wife and your little boy, what would you do? And I said, I would do whatever I could to defend my family. Knowing what their views were, I said, what would you do? And they wouldn't look at me. (laughs) Until finally, the chairman of the search committee said, well, we don't really know what we would do. We know what we would want to do, and that is to just do nothing but pray. Listen, I'm a fighter. It was at that point I said, that's not for me. This church is not for me. I want to get into the ring. I want to get in in the fight. I want to battle See, you read Matthew 23, you don't really see a lot of passive non-resistance. I mean, Matthew, Jesus in Matthew 23, he's calling out the false teachers of the Pharisees. He is calling them out. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, blind guides, whitewashed tombs. I like that. Kind of shows some spirit. It shows a lot of jealousy for the truth. He's not going to let it get corrupted. You see the anger in Moses, you see it in Nehemiah, you see it righteously in Paul, and you get to see it in Jude. Jude's a fighter, and he loves Jesus, and he loves the church, but he wants to protect them from harm. So he explains in verse three that he had to abandon. Listen, he was going to write a much different book. Do you know that? Verse 3, look at it. He had a, he had a much different letter that he was going to write. He was going to write a, a positive resounding, glorious letter all about their salvation. And then he begins to see and he begins to hear all of these false prophets and all these false teachers and they're leading people astray. And he says, now I've got to write something different. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend, to fight, to battle for the faith. He's not calling us to physically battle those who commit evil. He's calling us to step up and fight, contend, guard the faith. Know the knowledge of God's redemptive message and hold it. Don't hide. Don't compromise. Listen, don't duck out of conversations when they start turning against Christianity. That's when we tend to try to slink away. Not Jude. Don't stay silent. When your teachers and your professors start spewing godless attacks against Christianity, you don't stay silent, you got to get in the fight, you got to battle. So we're called to lovingly and boldly defend the gospel against any and all who attack it, to battle and war and struggle and grapple, not listen not for our reputations, even not even for our lives, but for the faith. let me ask you a very, very serious question. I really want you to think. You don't need to answer. I just want you to reflect. If tonight, after you leave here, the opportunity came where you had a possibility that you could die for your faith, for the message of the gospel, would you hold on to it? I remember hearing years ago about this missionary who was in a very hostile country. And they put him down, they captured him, and they put him down on his knees and they held a gun to his head and said, deny your faith in Jesus or we will kill you. And he upheld his faith. And they pulled the trigger. And it clicked and clicked and clicked, it would not fire a bullet. But if that opportunity came to you, or if it came to me where you could possibly die, literally die, yes, in America and in the Lehigh Valley, where you could die for your faith, it happened in Colorado. If it came to that point where you could die for your faith, would you uphold the faith and battle and contend and hold on to it? You know, there's likely going to be some people in our church, sometime during this series, they're not going to like it. I'm going to mention somebody's name. I'm going to bring out some teaching or practice that they are going to get angry at. For the time is coming, Paul said in Timothy, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. Well, here comes Jude. To sound the cry from the watchtowers. Listen, all of that forewarning from Jesus, all that forewarning from Peter, all of that forewarning from Paul, it's here. It's in the church now. And I'm going to tell you what I really believe. There's never been a time in the history of the church, 2,000 years of history of the church, where there is a greater influx of false teaching. So what do we do? James says, join forces together, contend together for the faith. All of us who claim to know Jesus, contend together for the faith, know the truth. you got to know what the real thing is so you can hear and spot and discern what is false. Know what the scriptures teaches. And for some of us, we may need to stop reading from so many books and start reading from the book. There's a lot of good books out there, but listen, not one of them is divinely inerrant, but this one. Not one. Not one of them claims the inspiration of God to infallibility, but this one. You want to pour into your heart and into your mind spiritual food for your soul, then get it from here more than anywhere else. Pursue God's word more than experiences, more than dreams, more than conversation and dialogue, more than contemplative prayer that the emergent church loves and teaches. Take confidence in the closing truth of Jude. Let's look at it, can we? Because I'm going to ask you to memorize these two verses. I'm going to ask you to memorize it. We're going to ask for people to come up and quote them. Only two two verses. We're going to try to do that in every series that we preach. We're going to start learning the Word of God, getting it down in our souls. But here's what I'm asking you to memorize, and when you start getting it memorized, come up and tell me or Pastor Matthew or Pastor Tim, and I'm going to have you stand up and quote it from, from memory. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Can you memorize that? How many of you, you're not swearing on your mother's grave here, but how many of you are going to try, it's not like John John from the video, how many of you are going to try to memorize these two verses? The rest of you, I'm going to pray that you get a rash (laughs) under both armpits and in other places that I can't mention from the pulpit. Until you memorize this. Okay, I really wouldn't do that. I want you to strap in. Get ready. We're going to have an expositional study from the book of Jude. It's going to be a series that uh, is going to not encourage you to huff the spirit. Listen, you're not going to be hearing Pastor Tim tell you to take a toke and a hit on the spirit. And we're not going to be sucking the glory off the bones of dead saints. This is a series that will once again direct Our confidence to the infallible word of God that is without error. It's the same word of God which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. You ready for this? We're going to hit it hard next week. You're going to learn who you are in Christ. And when you learn who you are in Christ, that you are His servant, listen, you're a slave, that word means. And you're joyful about your slavery because He's called you into this faith and you are His beloved child and He is going to keep you in your faith. That's what we're going to learn next week. You're going to know who you are in Christ and it's going to give you the call to battle knowing that you've got everything you need to do all that God's going to ask you to do. Memorize those two verses. I would love for you to not go on witch hunts. That's not the purpose of this. It's to uncover serious false teaching in the church. And to know the truth. And to be willing to get into the battle and defend it. Amen. Let's pray.